3: From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, almost all businesses in California can reopen at or near full capacity on June 15th. The announcement from Governor Gavin Newsom marks a major change in the state's pandemic response, but there are caveats. We dig into the details. Then author Jennifer DeLeon may have been born and raised in the United States, but it's Guatemala that's had an outsized impact on her life. Her parents fled the country when it was in the grips of civil war, and she went there in her twenties to begin to carve her path as a writer. We'll talk with DeLeon about her new book of personal essays titled White Space. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. Calling it a big day, Governor Newsom announced yesterday that California can pretty much resume business as usual on June 15th, though masks and certain conditions will be required. The state has now administered 20 million vaccines and hospitalizations for COVID-19 have plummeted. But the governor's announcement does come as federal officials warn that cases are climbing in other parts of the country and that states should not let their guards down. Joining me first, Guy Marzerotti of KQED's Politics Desk, who covered Newsom's announcement. Hi, Guy. Hey, Mina. So the governor said that virtually all businesses in the state, including sports and concert venues, can open at or near capacity on June 15th. Tell us more about this plan.
2: Right. I mean, this is really the closest thing we've had to a plan that gets us back to normalcy since the pandemic began. As you said, nearly all businesses can return to their pre-pandemic states on June 15th with a couple conditions, as long as every adult who wants a vaccine can get one and we don't see a spike in hospitalizations. But there's not really metrics that the Newsom administration has provided along with those two conditions, which Mm. to me says they're pretty confident uh, about this, you know, working in their favor, increasing vaccine supply, uh, a a steady drop in hospitalizations. Um, And I think ultimately they they wanted to get this date out there, this piece of good news out there for Californians to look forward to.
3: And so confident enough to get rid of the whole county-by-county tiered system that had a lot of metrics that needed to be met and so on?
2: That's right. So the red tier, yellow tier, orange tier, that's all going to go away on June 15th. It's been around since last summer kind of as a way to measure the spread of coronavirus, roll back uh openings, allow some openings. But it is confusing, ultimately. I mean, especially uh, the metrics they're using now, adjusted case rates, which are based both on the spread of the virus as well as how much testing each counties are doing. Um, That's all going to go away, hypothetically, on June 15th that these conditions are met and that the reopening that is anticipated will be statewide.
3: Can you talk a little bit more about the rules related to large indoor venues like conventions, sports events, things like that, that could require people to present proof that they've been vaccinated?
2: Right. The, this is really the only thing the administration singled out as not going all the way back to normal right away in June. And those are, you know, conventions, p- perhaps really large indoor sporting events that will require vaccinations or proof of negative tests. I think at this point, it seems like it's, it will be up to the organizers of these events to come up with some kind of system where people can show they've been vaccinated or have a negative test. We didn't hear any details from the state um, on anything like a vaccine passport or, or vaccine ticket <laughs> to these kind of events. So I think ultimately it's going to be you know up to these, these individual uh, organizers to make that happen.
3: And the other thing that will also stay in place that will remind us that we're in a pandemic are mask mandates, right?
2: That's right. There's still going to be the the mask mandate. Um, And I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that not, you know, children are still not going to be vaccinated. This uh, precondition for opening mm. in June is for make sure everyone 16 and up can get a vaccine. It doesn't, you know, uh, rely on children having an availability uh, to be vaccinated. And so I think that's a, a, a piece of this is still wanting to have masks in place um, at businesses and gatherings um, in, in order to avoid spreading it to folks who at that point still will have not received a vaccine.
3: Well, I want to invite listeners to join this conversation. What What are your questions or concerns about California's reopening plan? You can call us 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. And joining us now is Dr. George Rutherford, Professor of Epidemiology and Biostatistics and Director of the Prevention and Public Health Group at UCSF School of Medicine. Dr. Rutherford, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Well, thanks for having me, it's a pleasure to be on.
3: So I wanna ask you the same question that I just asked our listeners. What is your assessment of California's plans? Do you have concerns? Do you think we're going too fast that this is about right?
4: I think it's about right, um, frankly. I. I I, one of the things that really sets California out from the other off from other states, and one of the reasons we've done so much better here recently is that we do have this careful reopening plan. But uh, you know we're closing in where we have one uh, percent of all tests are positive uh, as of yesterday. We have fewer than two thousand people in hospitals, and that rate is dropping like a rock. Um, we still have about twenty five hundred people, new new cases being diagnosed each day or being reported each day. You know, which is still quite a few, but it's a huge state. And um, I think that uh, I, I, I like telling people where the finish line is. Uh, mm. I think that's a good idea, and I think that makes a lot of sense um, uh, to me.
3: It gives people time to prepare as well. For parents who are concerned that as everything starts to reopen, that their kids, of course, especially if they're under 16, won't be vaccinated by June 15th, how concerned are you about that
4: somewhat um i, I the reading tea leaves it appears that okay. the i i my guess is that the uh, is that fda will approve the pfizer vaccine for use in 12 to 15 year olds sometime in may and mm. possibly the moderna vaccine not that not that um you know fairly soon after that which could would be in 12 to 17 year olds so i think we would be able to get adolescents on the list at least by say Early June-ish, um, and I, you can't vaccine all the adolescents in two weeks, obviously. But it gets them on the list. Younger children, I'm I'm less concerned about. The outbreaks in uh, in the in the Midwest, specifically the one in Michigan, right. appear to have arisen uh, in large part from youth sports activities. Um, and I, I think getting vaccine into into adolescence will go a long way to uh, help blunt that possibility
3: but you're not too concerned i mean one of the things that uh, the governor was saying of course is that the reopening hinges on a sufficient vaccine supply and of course yeah. low hospitalization numbers we're talking about a lot of times what's happening in the east and midwest is can be you know a sign that something could be happening here or coming here you are not mm-hmm. concerned about that
4: i'm not as concerned about as that concerned. i'm always you know this is my it's my business to be concerned about this stuff uh, but I think that the way they're putting it together, with a reliance on hospitalizations, <laughs> oh, excuse me, as a as a hard metric, which is pr- pretty straightforward to count, um, I think that that makes sense. And you know, at the end of the day, what are we trying to prevent? We're trying to prevent death, and we're trying to prevent severe disease. Um, and hospitalization is a good is a good marker for that. And you know, let's see how well we can do with that.
3: Well, let me go to some calls we've already got coming in. Allie in Sacramento, join us. Hi, Allie.
5: Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just curious if the um, the state and the governor's office has given any guidance in terms of how this will impact the renegotiate the negotiations of schools reopening. Um, the negotiations have been very much based on the tier system, and so. With that being taken away, it seems like the board, the districts and the unions are going to kind of be back at square one. So is there any guidance from public health policy in terms of how they're going to handle that?
3: Yep. Guy Marzorati. what did the governor have to say about schools yesterday?
2: Right. Well, that June 15th date, by that time, school year will be over for most California schools. But it's important to note to to Ali's question, the default for fall 2021 is in-person learning the rules that are on the books for this year that allowed distance learning were part of the state budget uh, for this fiscal year that ends on June 30th. So after June 30th, it goes back to the default, which is in-person learning. Now, as part of the state budget process that's gonna happen in May and June, you could see lawmakers carve out some process for schools to apply for waivers uh, to do some kind of distance learning in the fall. So I would encourage anyone who's interested in that process and, and you know, has thoughts for their lawmaker on either side to really pay attention to the state budget process, which happens really, uh, you know, is, is, is happening now. But after the governor issues his revised budget in early May, the process really happens throughout the months of May and June. And by the, you know, in June, we should have a state budget for the next year that really details whether, again, we go back to this default as we have had before the pandemic of in-person learning being the default.
3: Well, let me thank Allie for the question, and let me go to Maggie in Ventura County. Hi, Maggie.
5: Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, so my question is, I live in like the Ventura uh, Thousand Oaks Westlake Village area. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the differences between like countywide versus statewide numbers? Um, I feel in my area, we have a significant lack of, uh, you know, we don't wear masks very often or I wear my mask, but like people in the area don't. Um, So can you just kind of elaborate on the difference between like the counties and the state and how that's going to affect things? Uh,
3: Maggie, that's a good point. I mean, George Rutherford, if I'm understanding what Maggie's wondering correctly, you're saying that you think the state has basically taken... The right course which is to open statewide not county by county to do away with this tier system and i mean do you think that that's how worried should people be who are in counties say for example where there are concerns about mass compliance and numbers going up and down
4: yeah mass compliance is 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 one thing and um you know by and large they're parts of the state that are less compliant and parts of the state that are more compliant. Uh, Ventura has uh, been far, uh, you know, quite hard hit by, by COVID um, and has gotten a lot of the spillover from Los Angeles, um, you know, just like other, like Riverside and San Bernardino and Orange uh, as well. But also Ventura has a fairly large agricultural uh, community up around Fillmore and Santa Paula. Uh, and that also, uh, they've also had a lot of infection up there now. Having said all that, in places that have had a lot of infection, there's going to be a lot of naturally acquired immunity that does nothing but augment uh, the amount of immunity that we can induce from vaccination. We still have two and a half months to go, or two two point two and a quarter months to go until we get to June 15th, and that'll and the tier system continue will continue to work um, then, and we'll be able to we you know continue to bring things down. Uh, uh, slowly. Um, obviously, one of the issues about wearing masks is, I mean, I think one of the good points here that the governor has emphasized is to try and give people an idea where the finish line is and say, just hold, hang tight. We'll do this for another couple of months. Then we'll uh, then we'll reassess at that point in time. I mean, that's the best I can offer you. Maggie.
3: With respect to Maggie's question, Guy already what if the state backslides? I mean, what if With respect to hospitalization rates and vaccine supply, things don't work out the way they expected. Will we see orders to shut down again?
2: Well, they definitely, you know, left it open in between now and June 15th. There is the option for the state to not go ahead with this plan to to, to reopen on the 15th of June. But I should also say counties will be allowed to go further and enact their own restrictions if they feel that's necessary.
3: Again, Guy Marzorati, KQD's California Politics and Government Desk reporter and producer, Dr. George Rutherford of UCSF, both with us to talk about the governor's plan to reopen California businesses by June 15th. Stay with us for more. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about Governor Newsom's plan to reopen California businesses by June 15th and the preconditions that need to be met by then, with Guy Marzorati, reporter and producer for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, And George Rutherford, Professor of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at UCSF School of Medicine. You, our listeners, are also with us. What questions or concerns do you have about California's reopening plan? Call us 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. Dr. Rutherford, just before the break, we were talking about how state officials say that this target date of June 15th is based on the assumption that vaccine supply will increase dramatically in California over the next two months. And that by that date, every Californian 16 years or older who wants to be vaccinated will have already had their first shot and be able to make that appointment. First, what vaccination rate would you consider a minimum threshold to reopen fully on June fifteenth. I understand that right now, eighteen percent of Californians are fully vaccinated. What would we need to reach, in your view?
4: I'd say something around in in excess of sixty percent of people who've had at least one vaccine. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, that's not going to get us all the way to the finish line, but it'll be, you know, it'll provide quite a bit of of, uh, of protection. I don't know if you've seen the data from uh, from the UK where they really have concentrated on just giving single doses uh, of, two, of these two dose series and try to get everybody one dose. They've had a dramatic drop off in transmission uh, and now are going back and sort of doing mop up with, the, uh, with second doses. So first doses get us a long way there. Um, and while that's not part of the US plans, in fact, we, we tend to sh- uh, shy away from it and want everybody to get two doses on the right at the right times. Um it does give you some uh, some comfort that uh, single doses will get us quite a ways uh, quite a ways there.
3: How concerned are you that a critical mass of Californians will not choose to vaccinate by that date?
4: Um I I think the, the larger question is is what proportion are not going to vaccinate ever? And mm. if we could get in, in into the eighty 80% percent low eighties, I think that would be terrific. And that's what the data currently suggests from uh from a variety of polls. Now Part of this is that when we talk about these numbers like 60 and 70, we're putting children and adolescents into the denominator and they're not eligible for the numerator of, the, of that calculation. We're gonna move adolescents in quickly and then a, a children will probably not be able to get vaccinated until late next fall. Um, that, that's at least kind of reading where we think that the, the, how long the trials will take. So it'll take us a while to get all the way to where we wanna be. Uh, so you have to try and think about, you know, how are we staging this and um, as, as we move forward?
3: Well, Bob writes, I'm concerned that spikes from all the mutations and varieties of the virus will still be an issue. It seems that opening up everything is a bit risky. Dr. Rutherford, about the variants, I mean, we're constantly hearing about variants showing up Here in California even, the LA Times just reported yesterday about the so-called double mutant variant that was first identified in India being discovered by Stanford scientists here. How worried are you about this and the ability of other variants to take hold?
4: So far, the vaccines seem to cover the variants. Um, I mean, some are better than others. I mean, some vaccines cover them better than others and some variants are more amenable to the vaccines than others. But overall, um, uh, the vaccines that we have right now cover the UK variant. They cover the West Coast variants. Uh, We don't know yet about this Indian variant, but there's only one case really at the end of the day. Um, uh, And they have, and while they, they also cover the South African and the Brazilian variants, not as, not as dramatically as well as they do the others, but they do cover them. So I think that we're, um, with the, with the mutants we have right now, and these, these new strains that we have right now, I think we have pretty good coverage. You know, we obviously follow the, continue to follow this, uh, and at some point in time, we might have to have a, a either a multi vectored vaccine or a, a, a different vaccine that expands the the breadth of uh, uh, of, um, of uh, strains that uh, that we want to develop immunity to. But for right now, I think we're in 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 pretty good shape. That's because we've been vaccinating people and we've gotten out in front of of the UK variant. And the other thing is that we have this West Coast these West Coast variants which at least here in Northern California, I don't know the Southern California data, but in Northern California, seem to be out competing the the UK variant.
3: Well, part of the reason, as you were saying, that you're somewhat hopeful is the fact that the pace of vaccinations here has been accelerating. I think, as I have seen it, some 19% of Americans are fully vaccinated. But around the world, the rates are so much lower. We're obviously interconnected. So can you talk about what the continued spread of the virus abroad means for us here?
4: It means a lot, right? So it's, you know, I mean, East Asia is pretty well under control. Obviously, Australia, New Zealand are under uh, very good control. India, much less so. Africa, anybody's guess right now, there have been uh, large outbreaks in very tropical countries like Tanzania, Um, And then Europe is, and especially Central Europe and and Eastern Europe have had tremendous uh, problems. However, you know, and I have to always come back to explaining this, But I grew up in San Diego and I can tell you that the population of Southern California starts about where Maggie is in in Ventura or maybe even in Santa Barbara and goes all the way to Ensenada and it's continuous population. And there's continuous population flows back and forth. And until we, you know, are able to, you know, deal with what's going on and right on the border, right on our borders in Mexico and help them with vaccine and vaccination programs, you know, it's, it's, we're just going to have reintroduction and, you know, the longer we wait and the more we mess around and the more, uh, the longer it takes until they become really vaccinated. Um, you know, that, that's just going to be more mutations that we have to, uh, we have to deal with. Now, the good news is that Mexico has historically had some of the best immunization programs in the world. So you really just need to get the stuff into their hands, um, and uh, they can do the rest.
3: And is the U.S. doing enough to do that? What What should the U.S. be doing, in your view, with respect to helping other nations as well as keeping I, this nation safe? We
4: are. We are. Uh, we have given money to uh, a, a UN effort called Covax, which is trying to move out COVID vaccine. To it's it's through a combination of credits and and. Uh, direct loans um, to low and middle income countries um, we've given uh, uh our surplus vaccine that we're not going to use to both canada and mexico we gave a million and a half doses to to canada and two and a half million to to mexico which obviously is not that much uh, but it's it's a start um and uh, we're helping them um yeah, well and and you know they're perfectly capable of of buying their own vac- uh buying their own vaccines now they're not you know, they're not averse to using the Chinese vaccines, um, which work pretty well as well.
3: We're talking with George Rutherford, professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at UCSF School of Medicine about the status of global vaccination efforts, which lag significantly. Also about Governor Newsom's plan to reopen California businesses by June 15th. And we're also talking with Guy Marzerotti about that, reporter and producer for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Guy, Naomi writes, why are we rushing to open California? I like Gavin Newsom, but this all feels like an easy way to appease those who are trying to push him out versus doing what is best for the safety of our state. Do you think this is being driven by a political calculation by the governor, Guy?
2: I mean, I think it's impossible at this point to untangle the political motivations within the governor's public health announcements from what he's seeing uh, in the data. It's clearly in the mind of the administration that the governor is likely to face a recall election uh, in the fall. But as Dr. Rutherford has said, California is also seeing really great news on the COVID front in terms of metrics around hospitalizations, test positivity rates. Um, I think the best, you know, political solution for Newsom is a California in the fall that looks a lot like it did in the fall of 2019. Um, But there's no, you know, there's no way of really parsing out what percent of this decision is driven by the recall versus, you know, what he's hearing from his experts.
3: Let me go to Bess in San Bruno. Hi, Bess.
5: Hi, everyone so i'm listening to this with great interest, but I want to understand when and will there ever be a policy for the people that are at home and non ambulatory i'm calling on behalf of my father who has parkinson's he's eighty three years old he should have he was ready to get his vaccine last year he even has sutter nurse health at uh, health at home. Nurses come in twice a week, and while they were okay to give him the flu vaccine, they have told us to our frustration week after week that there's no policy to get my dad. Um, vaccinated. On our block, there's a woman who has uh, knee replacements, and she can't get up, she can't drive. We have a person who's also severely uh, physically disabled. And then there's my dad. All three should be able to have COVID vaccine at home. And it's really hard, and I've said this to other people, for my dad to be watching the news reports of people that are young, standing in line at Walgreens, when he, all he wants to do is be able to get out of his bubble um, he that he's been in for a year and a half. And whenever I've called everyone from Newsom's office, even to Jackie Spears' office, they all understand there's a problem, but there's no policy and, and absolutely no advocacy. So what you're going to do with the thousands and thousands of people that are homebound and should have had their vaccines last year? Uh,
3: well, Bess, let me see if I can get a response from from Dr. Rutherford about your concerns. Dr. Rutherford, what about what Bess is talking about here?
4: I completely agree with you. I mean, it's ridiculous. And um, you know, I think that's something that the health departments need to be able to local health departments need to be able to take on and, and need to take on, you know um, aggressively. I can tell you in San Francisco, we know um, we know that um, um, you know, we know that there are pockets of unvaccinated uh, elderly people. Um, there you know, the vaccine coverage for people over. Uh, 75 is not is not anywhere close to 100 percent and there are door-to-door efforts being made to go through and 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 find people and get them vaccinated now uh is there a list of, of people can you get on a list for this in san francisco I, I think it's more that we know where they are and we're going and knocking on doors we're asking them rather than the other way around i'm sorry i don't have a great uh, great answer for you best but i would um, get it on the agenda of the of your local health officer, the San Mateo County health officer, and Doctor Morrow is a terrific guy. And you know, I, I think they're going to have the. Um, I would imagine, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but I would imagine they they'll have the capacity to, for doing, for providing mobile uh, uh, teams, and uh, they've already been fielded in in San Francisco, and I assume San Mateo is doing something very similar. I'm sorry, but I, I'm sorry, I don't have an exact answer for you.
3: But I thank Bess for registering that. Um, And let me go to Amber in Solano next. Hi, Amber. Hi,
5: good morning. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's super, super helpful and interesting. I'm wondering, I run, um, I'm part of a large social service organization, and we have hundreds of staff people that are first line essential workers. And we were just, we've been wondering if there's ever been any conversations or any discussions about mandating vaccinations for employers, employees to come back to the workplace.
2: Hmm.
3: Guy Marzardi, any knowledge for Amber on that?
2: Yeah, the short answer is yes. Uh, The California Department of Fair Employment has said as long as employers Accommodate, you know, religious beliefs, um, and don't retaliate if someone requests a religious or medical accommodation. They can require vaccines uh, of employees. There is a catch, though. the The guidance that they put out said they they are allowed to require an FDA approved vaccine, and the vaccines out there now are operating under emergency use. Doctor Rutherford would know better than I the timeline for when uh, full FDA approval might come. Um, but the shorter answer to that is yes. State agencies have said you are allowed to uh, you are allowed to mandate a vaccination for your employees.
3: Doctor Rutherford, did you want to respond?
4: Sure. Um, the The answer that I've heard, uh, not written down, but just have heard in response to questions, is that the FDA wanted about six months of follow up data uh, after the emergency use author- authorization before it considered full licensure. Um, and that six months would be up in sort since we started in December, that six months would be sometime in, in mid-May.
3: Well, thanks, Amber, again for the question. And let me go to Barbara in San Francisco. Hi, Barbara.
5: Hello. Um, I suspect my question is for Mr. Maserati. Um, originally, large performances such as choral singing, the opera, wind instruments, uh, and so on were considered the most dangerous, and I'm wondering if uh, they are included in the plan to open up, in quotes, completely.
3: Hmm. Barbara,
2: thanks, Guy. That that's a good question. I I I'm not sure the size of the choral performance uh, you had in mind. I think when you know the administration is talking about large events, I envision more like you know concerts at... Chase Center or uh, large convention halls um, that would require, you know, vaccines. I don't think, you know, if it's a, a smaller choral practice or, or gathering that would fall under that, but I don't have exact details on what's the threshold of, of attendees that would then trigger a requirement to get everyone tested or everyone vaccinated.
3: And Dr. otherwood how much is, I mean, we heard so much about Singing being a major spreader of the virus, mm-hmm. how concerned should we be about large scale events involving singing? Now there has been some talk that even outdoor, large music events, for example, I'm sure that's mostly about crowds, but uh, but should should yeah. have pre preconditions about vaccination. So
4: um, yeah, so I've been um, it's been my great pleasure, uh, and quite unexpectedly, I find myself. Um, having working working with the Opera and the Arts Alliance now for the last year, to try and figure out ways to accommodate um, opera um, uh, and get back into the uh, Opera House, um, and it's uh, there are complicated OSHA rules around this, and you can do the spacing. Um, uh, one of the uh, UCSF uh, faculty members, um, Dr. Sanziana Roman, actually invented a mask that you can use for singing that actually. Um, it's It's not restrictive at all, and so that that can be used in practice. But you know, I mean, at the end of the day we're talking about ventilation, we're talking about spacing. Um, we're talking about testing, we're talking about vaccination. Um, you know those are the kinds of uh, kinds of things that uh, uh, that the opera can uh, actually has tried to figure out exactly how to uh, space people and um, how to uh, how to have rehearsals. And how to have wind instruments, um, you know, it's a real education for me to understand about, you know, flutes and piccolos, because you blow over the top of them, are probably the most, you know, they're going to create the, the, you know, the sort of the respiratory droplets that aren't kind of sucked up in a big horn, um, like, a, like, a, like, you know, like a big horns do, right? And so it's, it's an interesting thing that opera actually has, um, is uh, opening on uh, the 23rd, but it's opening in a great, you know, sort of mitigation thing. Essentially, as a drive-in at the at the Marin at the Marin uh, Fairgrounds um, with the Barber of Seville, and, and um, you sit in your car and you bring the sound in through the radio. Um, it's it's really a remarkable uh, kind of accommodation, and I and I but I fully expect that as we as we start to work towards um, work through the summer and and enter this new land of no tears, uh, that that will probably have some continued rules uh, around. Uh, these kinds of events, and here I think it's both about the cast and the orchestra and the staff, as much as it is about the patrons. Patrons, you can just say you need to be vaccinated or you need to be tested recently. Um, but the the staff and and other people, that's a little bit more complex. But there are there have been people who've been working on this quite hard and um, uh, quite long hours and have really tried to put this together, mostly following the movie rules, um, SAG and director skills have complicated roles. So it's a fascinating thing. I'm sorry to prattle on about it. It
3: was a great question. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how all of this plays out, what continues, and so on. So we only have about 30 seconds or so left, Dr. Rutherford. Can you just tell us, we are hearing, okay, we need sufficient vaccine supply, low case numbers, stable hospitalizations, and so on to make sure this is happening. Mm -hmm. What will it rely on in terms of our own behavior to make sure that we truly can go back to pre-pandemic life, at least the good parts of it?
4: We need to get over this hump in April where we don't have enough people vaccinated and we have enough unvaccinated people to maintain transmission, sustain uh, transmission. So people are going to need to, you know, uh, not only get vaccinated when their turn comes, but continue to exercise the caution, the kinds of cautions we've talked about. We're now talking about doing it for the next nine weeks or so, but you know, masks, etc., cetera. Uh, and that's what's gonna get us to the, to, to the goal line.
3: Well, Dr. Rutherford, Guy Marzorati, thanks to both of you for talking with us today about the big news about California's reopening plan. Stay with us for more with writer Jen DeLeon after the break. I'm Mita Kim, this is Forum.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera,